Good morning. Our passage today comes from Psalm 103, verses 1 through 5. So if y'all will now stand for the reading from God's Word. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forgive not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with the steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. You may have a seat. Thank you, Anna, for reading God's word to us. And Isaiah 40 tells us the grass withers and the flowers fade, but God's word stands forever. Uh, I'm going to pray for us and we'll get into Psalm 103. Well, God, thank you that you're with us this morning. You've been with us. You've called us to yourself And now, Lord Jesus, we come and ask that you continue to reveal yourself to us. Your word that is written, uh, the revelation of who you are uh, and your character, who you are, uh, and your posture towards us, your people, what you have promised to do, Lord Jesus, would we be awakened afresh this morning uh, to the gospel of grace and love that abounds to us in Jesus. Pray that you would speak, remove me, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you, our rock and our redeemer. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So we're continuing this morning in our summer series in the Psalms titled Rest for the Soul, looking at Psalm 103. Uh, in three weeks, we'll begin a new fall series, and in two weeks, college football starts. Do y'all know college football starts in two weeks? It feels like two weeks before Christmas for me. I'm, I'm so excited for college football. I love it. I love the Auburn Tigers. I love Auburn football. I think uh, my heart will be broken again this year as we'll lose many games uh, this year, but I still love Auburn football. I I love the whole experience of an Auburn football game, getting together with friends beforehand and, and tailgating, kind of a preparation before the game. Then going to the Tiger Walk, which is a tradition where thousands of fans line the street and watch the whole team get off the bus and walk into the stadium, a sort of processional, if you will. Then we all gather into the stadium, 90,000 of our closest friends, where we forget about the rest of the world for a few hours. And then another tradition where the eagle is let go and flies around the field and everybody rises up. It's a call to rise up. And then there's the kickoff, and everybody shouts, War Eagle. And throughout the game, there's a standing, there's a sitting, kneeling at times, if you're me, prostrate at times. There's a call and response, orange, blue, orange, blue. If there's a turnover, there's brokenness. When there's a touchdown, people are high-fiving and embracing. And what I just described is a worship experience preparation, a processional, a call to worship, responsive shouts, brokenness, shouts of praise. And I've been experiencing this since I was eight years old with my dad. This rhythm of preparation, procession, call to rise up, high five, brokenness, embracing. Since I was a young boy, this is why I love Auburn football. I have been shaped by this experience for 30 years. So much so that in two weeks, I will wake up very early, put on my Auburn game day shirt, get a cup of coffee, 
watch college game day on ESPN and sit in front of the TV to watch Auburn get stomped by Clemson probably. <laughs> and my heart will be broken. Thankfully, Timothy preaches that week, so I don't have to come in. <laughs> but there is a discipline to my life to watch Auburn football. There's been a discipline and a rhythm since I was eight years old. I love Auburn football in large part because I've been shaped by that discipline, by this rhythm. What do you love? What do you really love? This morning, I want to propose to you that what we love is shaped and formed by the disciplines and rhythms of our lives. Scholar and theologian James K. Smith has been extremely helpful to me in learning this. Smith mentions in one of his books that he was paging through an issue of a notable Christian magazine, and he was struck by a full-page colorful ad for a Bible verse memory program. And at the center of the ad was a man's face, and uh, emblazoned across his forehead was a startling claim, you are what you think. You are what you think. And then Smith notes, in ways that are more modern than biblical, we have been taught to assume that human beings are fundamentally thinking things. I think, therefore I am. Here's a reality. What we say we love is not always what we really love, or at least what we love the most. Let me ask if you're a Christian this morning. Has all of your knowledge and all of your information about God and the Bible, has it liberated you from all of your bad habits? I know the answer. No, it hasn't in my life. Deep change in our hearts and our lives doesn't come solely through new information and knowledge. Our loves are shaped and formed by the disciplines and rhythms of our lives. We may say we love one thing, but our deepest loves are seen by what we give our time and energy and discipline to. I'm not suggesting that we we be anti-intellectual. Far from it. The mind matters, what we think matters. But I'm proposing to you that we are way more than brains on a stick. And our denomination can often be depicted as a denomination of brains on sticks. Our loves are shaped by more than just information and knowledge. A discipline, in general, is an exercise or activity that you consistently participate in, right? That's a a discipline, brushing your teeth twice a day, taking a shower once a day, exercising four times a week. And after practicing a discipline for a period of time, you find yourself moving from having to be very intentional to do it at first to a place of wanting to do it. When I first started CrossFit four years ago, I had to talk myself into going because I was getting beat up every, every time I went, I gotta go. To now I love going to CrossFit, or you could say I actually love CrossFit. Spiritual di- disciplines are exercises or activities that we consistently participate in that will mold, shape, and form your love and my love for the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So I want to give you this morning one major spiritual discipline that will shape your love for God. And it's the spiritual discipline of talking to yourself. Now most of us think that's not okay. Maybe, maybe it's a little strange. Uh, but talking to yourself is actually in the Bible. It's in our passage this morning. I'm not talking about the crazy kind of mumbling under, under your breath talking to yourself. Not, not addressing yourself, Daniel, let me talk to you, but the Bible talks to, teaches us to talk to ourselves by addressing our soul. Amen. Psalm 103, O my soul, bless the Lord. Soul, forget not. British 
pastor and great preacher, Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote this. We allow our, our self to talk to us instead of talking to ourself. Most unhappiness in life is due to the fact that we listen to ourselves instead of talking to ourselves. The main art in the matter of spiritual living is to know how to handle yourself, question yourself, and preach to yourself. You must remind yourself who God is, what God has done, and what God has promised to do. Two ways that Psalm 103 instructs us in the spiritual discipline of talking to yourself. The first, O my soul, bless the Lord. Bless the Lord, O my soul. This whole psalm, which we didn't read, is really framed in verses 1 to 2 and verses 20 to 22 with this whole idea of blessing. In the Greek translation of the Old Testament, which is referred to as the Septuagint, the word uh, bless is translated eulogia, which means literally to say a good word. It's where, if that sounds familiar, it's where we get the English word eulogy. Now, the only place today where we hear of something referred to as a eulogy is where? Funeral, right? Funeral. This person is dead. Let's say some nice things. Let's say some good words about them now that they've departed. David is telling his soul to say good words about the Lord, to bless, to praise, to worship the Lord. Worship is not just expressed in song. We say that often here on a Sunday morning. Worship is the posture and the direction of our lives. And worship's what we were created for. Martin Luther, the great reformer, said, whatever your heart clings to is what you worship. We all worship. The question is, what's your heart clinging to? In other words, you worship that which you love the most. And the reality is we're all prone to worship things that are not worthy of our worship. Achievement, approval, success or comfort, power or freedom. And when we find ourselves worshiping these things, they fail to satisfy and they disappoint and our souls are left wanting because God has created us for more, to worship Him. And so we talk to ourselves. Soul, listen, bless the Lord. Soul, worship the Lord. Say a good word. Now David is telling us if if we are downcast, if we're depressed, if we're discouraged, if we're guilty, if we're ashamed, if we're bored, tell your soul, soul, stop clinging to what does not satisfy and speak good words about the Lord. This is a spiritual discipline. Consistent practicing of talking to our souls and telling our souls to worship and to bless the Lord. But here's the thing. If you're going to say a good word, if you're going to say a eulogy about someone and be really honest in your eulogy, the person has to be good, right? And you have to be acquainted with their goodness. And if we're deeply honest, there are times when we doubt God and who He is. And in particular, we doubt if, if He is who He says He is, is He really good? Is God good? Because if God's not good, he's not worthy of a good word. See, our lack of belief or our unbelief in God's goodness is depicted in our lack of speaking good words or eulogies to the Lord and worshiping him. I think it's easier, I don't know about about you, but I think it's easier to believe that God is holy and righteous, eternal, which he is, than to believe God is good. He's good in his character. He's good in all of his actions. That God is good when he created the world. 
God is good in the giving of his law after uh, sin entered into the world. God is good in the redeeming of Israel from Egypt. God is good in sending his only son to come and rescue and redeem us and the world from sin. Romans 8.28 tells us that we know God works all things together for our good and his glory. That God is good and that he makes beauty out of ashes. God is good and that he's making all things new and he will heal all that is broken. God's good. But our hearts have a hard time believing it. So the Lord has given us his word to reveal who he is in his goodness. So we must consistently read the word of God to learn of his goodness, to be acquainted with who he is so that we can say to ourselves, see so bless the Lord. Say a good word. Timothy talked a few weeks ago about the need and the necessity of Sunday morning worship. That every Sunday morning we are grounding and rooting ourselves back into the goodness of God to us in the gospel of Jesus. This practice and rhythm of gathering on Sunday is a way to talk to ourselves. We come in here on a Sunday morning and we say, soul, bless the Lord. Though we have worshipped other things between Sundays, our hearts clinging to many other things seen also in our rhythms and our disciplines. Think about your rhythms and your disciplines. How often do you check your bank account a week? Daily. How often do you look at Facebook and Instagram and see how many people have liked your posts? How often do you look in the mirror and see how you look? How often are you drinking a glass of wine consistently? You check your work email every hour or two. How committed are you to take your children to something every night of the week so that your children prosper? All of those things that I just mentioned are rhythms that shape and mold what we love. So we come here on a Sunday morning and we talk to ourselves and say, soul, God is good. God is better than financial security. God is better than the approval of others. He's better than comfort. He's better than success. He's better than my children's success. God is good. So what do you love? What drives your life? What are the disciplines and rhythms of your life? Talk to yourself and tell your soul to bless the Lord. And you will find what at first might feel hard and you have to be intentional You actually find yourself longing to worship the Lord and actually loving the Lord. There's a second thing that Psalm 103 tells us to do in the spiritual discipline of talking to yourself. Oh, my soul, forget not. Forget not all his benefits. Forget not is another way to say remember. Remember. And remember is one of the most frequent commands in the Bible. You know why it's one of the most frequent commands in the Bible? Because we don't remember, <laughs> because we've, we forget, we forget. Tim Keller says that remember here in Psalm 103 is this concept of controlling consciousness. It's to have something so central to your consciousness that it affects everything about you, your desires, your thoughts, your behaviors. It affects what you love. Listen to Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 to 9. It's a wonderful Old Testament passage. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. That's worship. Worship is what you love the most, loving God. And then listen to how the passage ends. (laughs) And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Here's how they shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. 
You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. How prone are we to forget? So prone that God is telling us to remember his commands when we sit and when we stand and when we walk and when we're with our children. We're to write it on the doorpost of our house, on our foreheads, put whatever we need to on our wrist, get a tattoo, whatever you need to do. Wrap yourself completely, cover yourself completely in reminders of who God is or else we'll forget. Amen. Forget not his benefits. Benefits in Hebrew is a noun that's embedded in an action. It's, it's an action of God that he, in which he is bringing or has brought something to finish, to, this com- to completion. That God has acted in such a way that the benefits will be or are already are completed and finished. I think this is, this is monster that you catch this. This is not a work in progress, but finished work. The benefits of God are finished and complete. What were Jesus' last words when he hung on the cross? It's finished. It's finished. It's complete. It's done. Jesus Christ and his life and in his death has secured and completed salvation for all who believe. All the blessings, all the benefits of God are secured because Christ said it's finished. Brothers and sisters, this is what Christianity is. Religion says do Jesus says it's done. It is complete. And if we forget his benefits, if we forget that Christ has completed salvation, then we can easily slip into thinking that life and salvation are contingent upon our own effort. But if we remember his benefits, the completed and finished work of Christ, that he forgives all of our iniquity, he heals us from our sins, redeems us from the pit, crowns us with love, satisfies our souls, then we won't be self-focused in our efforts to live life, but grateful for the Lord of salvation, and we will well up with praise and speak good words of a good father. But we'll forget. It's okay. We'll forget, and we will wander away. So God tells us to tell our souls, soul, remember turn back and rejoice in all that our Father offers us. Forgiveness and healing, redemption, satisfaction. This is the rhythm of the Christian life. It's a dance of repentance and faith in walking and living it out. Repenting and turning back to what Christ has already secured for those who trust Him. Max Lucado is an author and a pastor, wrote of a a 14-year-old girl named Christina who ran away to live on a big city, in a big city on, a street all by her, on the streets all by herself. Christina had a good mother who went frantically searching for her months looking. And months went by and she couldn't find Christina and she, so she thought maybe she's dead. Then the idea hit the mother. She took a picture of herself and wrote a note on the, on the photo, made hundreds of copies and began to, to tape them all around the city, sides of buildings, the train station, entryways, all across the city. And Christina was walking down the street one day and she saw a familiar face. She saw the face of her mother. And then she read the note. Whatever you've done, whatever you are, you're still loved. Come home. 
That's the offer of our Father. That even in our wondering, we can see the face of our Father, the face of the Son, welcoming us home to His love and forgiveness, acceptance and grace as His children. Our Father is the Father of Luke 15. If you've read the story of the prodigal, the prodigal son who, who takes his inheritance, leaves his father's house, squanders the inheritance, and then remembers while he's lying in a pigsty the benefits of being at home with his father and wants to return home. Amen. And in Luke 15, this father doesn't shame the prodigal. He's not sitting there going, I knew you'd come back. I knew it. I, my house is better, isn't it? No. The father sees the prodigal son coming home and runs out, embraces, and kisses him and throws a party for him. That's what our God does for us when we turn back and remember all the benefits that Christ secures and that our father really is good. You see, the reason we can remember and can come home to the embrace of the father is because Jesus Christ, the Father's only Son, was forgotten. See, not only did Christ cry out from the cross, it's finished, but before he cried out, it's finished, he moaned and he groaned with deep sadness, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you forgotten me? See, Christ was forgotten so that God could remember and would remember us. And when Jesus was hanging on the cross in the the account in Luke's gospel, hanging between the two thieves of the cross, one thief asked Jesus, Jesus, will you remember me? Will you remember me? And isn't that a question that we all wonder the answer to at times? Will you remember me, God? And Jesus says, I remember you. I will remember you, and today you will be with me in paradise. The benefits of God, the completed and finished work of Christ. Soul, remember I was watching a video this past week on Facebook. I feel like every video now comes through Facebook, uh, even if it's coming from other, some other social media presence. But I was on Facebook, and I was watching a video that somebody posted of a, of a grandson picking up his grandfather who had Alzheimer's and dementia. I don't know if you saw this video. But the grandfather was, was very absent. But when the grandson would play a particular song, his grandfather would all of a sudden become present and they would begin to sing this song together. He would, the grandfather would remember when they were singing the song. Church, we can't forget the benefits of God. It is the song of salvation that jogs our memories back and ushers us into the presence of a good and faithful God. I love what Eugene Peterson wrote. Memory is not nostalgia. Memory is not an orientation to the past. It is vigorously present tense, selecting out of the storehouse of the past, retrieving and arranging images and insights, and then hammering them together for use in the present moment. That's what it means to remember. Every night, I put our oldest son, Henry, to bed. We have a routine. We shower. We brush his teeth. We read him a book or two or three, depending on who's winning the argument that night. Uh, if I'm winning, it's like one, and then it's bedtime. If it's, he's winning, it's like three. And then we sing a song together, and then we close in prayer. It's our rhythm. Every night, I love doing it with him. 
I love him because we do it together. See, habits shape and form us. And I let Henry choose the song every night. Whatever song he wants to sing, we'll sing it. And nine times out of ten, you know what song he chooses? Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. And I find myself every night so thankful that my son picks that because I, re- I, for- I forget it. And I need to be reminded that Jesus actually loves me. And I'm, re- and I'm reminded of it when I'm singing it with my son. St. Augustine of Africa found that the best model for developing his memory of the past and what God was doing in the present and securing in the future was to audibly pray a psalm out loud, telling his soul to bless the Lord and to remember. So I'd encourage you this week, try to use Psalm 103. Say it out loud. And it might feel strange at first, but you might begin to find yourself looking forward to it and actually loving the Lord as a result of doing it. The spiritual discipline of talking to yourself. Do it by reading the Bible. We can do it in prayer. We do it in corporate worship consistently, daily, multiple times a day, and you will find yourself not just saying you love God and actually loving other things more than God, but actually loving God the most and worshiping Him and not forgetting all of His benefits. Let's pray. God, I ask that you would help us, Lord. Lord, would you shape and mold us? Lord, if we really were to reflect on all of the kind of routines or liturgies or rhythms or disciplines of our week. There are so many things we're more committed to than than knowing you and your goodness. And our hearts are shaped by it, Lord. Our lives are are shaped by it. So Lord, would you give us uh, an, an understanding of how good you are, how loving and gracious you are, so that we would then avail ourselves to become more acquainted with who you are so that we then offer up worship and we might remember, and we might live differently as a result. So in Jesus' name we pray, amen.